ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast. Oh, God, it hurts. Oh, yeah, God, it hurts so good and bad and all of those feelings, yeah. That John Cougar Mellon camp, he wasn't kidding. <laughs> Everything hurts. Uh, everybody oh. hurts, but sometimes everybody cries. That's me today. Oh. <laughs> Rough week. Uh, uh, <laughs> I am your co-host, the Six Button Samurai, and with me, as always, is my lifelong friend, Mr. Game Agent E.T., how are you, Eddie? I am still alive. <laughs> That's I'm still drawing believe. breath. Yes, I uh, survived uh, two weeks of, uh, you know, not only my main job but uh, a little bit of extra work for my part-time job. And yeah, uh, my I'm part-time job was a little rough. I uh, teach. Uh, English as well on Saturdays for school, and uh, I had a sub for a couple of weeks, and uh, it was with really young kids, and that gets tough because, uh, yeah, the They're kids, unruly. Uh, yeah, are unruly. Uh, <laughs> And they don't understand you because they're too young to understand a lot of English, and <laughs> it's pretty hairy. Yeah, yeah, but you should just show them episode three, Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> hey, uh, you know my name's Anakin. My real name. <laughs> Master Skywalker. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> no. You don't want to please uh, tell me. No, no, no. No, no treatment of the younglings like that. Um <laughs> so as you so adro- adroitly pointed out, Eddie, um yes. we just had a little two year anniversary. Woo! Two years of unadulterated fun with you, mm. buddy. Yeah. It's been such a blast. I hope uh, it keeps keeps going. Love this. Love the show. Love you. Yeah. Love everyone Love you too, that listens. Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. So, besides uh suffering at your autobito. Yes. Um for those who don't know, um autobito is a Japanese word that is lifted from a German word, autobite, to work. But it specifically refers to a part-time job, right? Yep. And uh, All right. J- Japanese has a lot of loan words. Uh, a lot, uh, quite a few from German. German. Uh, uh-huh. Quite a few from English. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, but usually yeah, I'm nervous when the Germans and Japanese get together to collaborate, but you know that's a, <laughs> that's a good. <laughs> Autobito is, uh, you know, uh, yeah. it's fun, it's flavor. Yeah, <laughs> language is a malleable thing. Let's embrace it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, besides suffering at your part-time job, yes. um, what are you or are you playing anything right now? Oh, yes. Even in my free time, I suffer voluntarily <laughs> because uh, I've been playing ghouls, uh, Ghosts and Goblins <laughs> because, wow. number one, uh, it's Halloween, uh, uh-huh. close to Halloween. Number two, uh, I have never played the arcade version through its entirety. I only right. played the NES version. And number three, uh, well, I uh, ordered uh, New Wave Toys uh, replicates for Ghosts and Goblins and Ghouls and Ghosts, and I Hot. figure... Uh, my, uh, it it was sent to my sister because they ca- they can't ship to Japan. So I'll be getting them in December when I visit okay. uh, the states, and uh, I'm practicing so that when I finally get my hands on those replicates, I'll be able to see how far I get with tiny controls. Awesome to add to the uh, suffering that so, is Ghosts and Goblins. <laughs> uh, as you know. And I believe I mentioned it here before. Um, yes. I have a very long relationship with the Ghosts and Goblins franchise. Um, they do, yes. They had it at the Circle K that was right by my junior high. So they had that cabinet and a versus Excite Bike cabinet. Nice. So I would often play those games before school in the morning. 
Um, and then sometimes at school started, and then sometimes <laughs> at lunch, despite the fact we had a closed campus. Um, those two wow. machines were quite the attractive nuisance for me as a wayward lad. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the, the thing that I know I've talked about at some point is the fact that the NES version of Ghosts and Goblins is still a giant piece of shit. Oh, it's terrible. It's like and, five frames a second at, at some points of the game. And I learned later on that, like, this was the era when there were software houses that were relatively inexperienced at what they did and were just trying to churn these things out. So the wow. home version of Ghosts and Goblins isn't really like a product of the same people. It was farmed out. Were they Micronics? Did that one, I think. What? Was it not a Japanese company that worked on that? It was a Japanese company, but it was a company that we now understand is infamous for their crappy uh, arcade ports, like across wow. the board. So I think they also did um, they did the NES version of the Kari Warriors 2 Victory Road, which is also really bad. Oh, um, Jesus, they also girl. did 1942 which is terrible on the NES. So I wonder if they did Trojan. Uh, NES Trojan. I'm not sure. I think that one, I don't know if that was in the same absolute pit of terribleness. I feel like that one was slightly better, but like those Capcom ports didn't start to get really good until like Commando. Yeah. um, 1943 is also quite decent on NES. Like, Section Z was not very good compared to the arcade. Di- oh, you know what? You <laughs> you definitely stumbled into some fighting words with uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Optimus. Uh, <laughs> I guess I was going down when I when I come back in December. He's gonna throw down gloves with me, and uh, uh, <laughs> I, I know specifically that Optimus really likes. Section Z on the NES, but it's really? also one of those cases where they did something very different and specific, but it's also complicated by the fact that the Famicom Disk System version of Section Z yeah. also had some additional features that had to get cut when the game was brought to the U.S. Oh, really? So I, think the I Famicom, didn't know that. So I think the Famicom Disk System version of Section Z is like the best one overall. I want to try that because I mean, I played that a lot on the NES when I was a kid. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you, in terms of looks, it didn't even hold a candle to arcade. And also the music was pretty, pretty sparse. I think the video, the video to look for that in, there was a really good one that was part of, um, Jeremy Parrish's NES works. Yeah. And he talks specifically about Section Z. So I would wow. look for that vid, and that will give you the lowdown. And then uh, you're going to have to have a judo match with Optimus, and um, <laughs> it's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, he's been training for many, many years. I've been training for no years. Because <laughs> he's a... He's a a fitness instructor. <laughs> yeah. I am a teacher, so yeah. I will just lay on the ground and pretend to be dead, and hopefully he will pretend to be somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> just like uh, my Arubaito. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Laid out. Hey, <laughs> man. You know, people shit on dissociation all the time, but you know, it's an underrated Quite skill. <laughs> it's a life-saving skill. Literally. Uh, so, um, what have I been playing lately? Uh, I've kind of been at a loss since I I finally completed Chrono Trigger, which was magical and loving and every bit as great as basically everyone has said for a really, really long time. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. I love that game. Uh, nice. Yeah, I mean... You know, uh, it's funny because like we, I feel like uh, 
there's always such a contrarian streak with gamers and like there are some games that are held up as like the best examples of their genre yada yada and like of course there's a handful of those like golden age squaresoft rpgs that are typically trotted out like people will talk about chrono trigger or super mario rpg or final fantasy 3 aka 6 um but damn it like those games are all really good <laughs> you know what i mean like there's yeah. they're they're kind of you know worshipped for a reason and it's not like everybody just got together and decided like this list of 10 games we're going to you know rule the roost forever like no like those games are particularly impossible to find now in resale stores because people friggin' hang on to them you know um it, it's hard to come by in terms of current consoles getting ports of them as well right like we still right. don't have chrono trigger we finally got ports of the classic final fantasy games on yeah. switch and other systems but that took a long time <laughs> so yeah no i think if anything like that might be my path ahead like as far as like the unfinished business 8 and 16 bit track that i've been yeah. on i'll probably continue that with the uh final fantasy pixel remasters yeah i still need to get that and i still need to play secret mana yeah i still have that collection and uh yeah it'll 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 get played but I just yeah. need to be in the right frame of, right, of mind right now, which as far I'm as, not. Yeah, well, you'll you'll get there. I mean, at least the holidays are coming. There'll be a little bit of downtime for you, right? Yeah, I mean, Good. looking forward to uh, flying home for two weeks, and uh, yeah. I'll probably choose like a role playing game to play on the plane and while I'm here, right? Uh, or there, I should say. Yeah. But yeah. You haven't played um, uh, Super Mario Wonder? No. Yes. Um, my copies, I bought a copy of it for my sister for her birthday. Um, nice. Her birthday's a few, few weeks after mine. Happy um, birthday. Whoop. I don't know um, if she listens. <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe the wind will catch on and bring it to Maybe. you. Anyway, oh. um, <laughs> no, um, I played about six levels worth last night. Um, yeah. My girlfriend and I just played co-op. Um, nice. And like, I always take these things with a grain of salt anymore because, you know, the simple fact is I am not the same human being that I was when a giant brown UPS truck pulled up to my grandpa's house in early 1991 and brought a Super Famicom with a copy of Super Mario World. Like, I'm not that person anymore. However, um, I long to feel the same way as that person did <laughs> yes. playing this brand new, beautiful 2d experience from you know the masters of the platforming craft and i gotta say thus far i am really really enjoying that game in a way that like uh john lineman at digital foundry did a much better job explaining this than i will in his video um he did a little sort of review on super mario wonder like directly comparing it to like the new super mario brothers series and why this one specifically feels different than those games um and how it feels a little more in line with like the physics and the feel of the character from like super mario world or super mario brothers 3 um cool i just I saw a thing in like the second level I tried that might be the most charming thing I've ever experienced in a friggin' video game. Yeah. And um, it just had to do with this ludic ludicrous spate of like fourth wall breaking, like piranha plants singing at the screen while you're running through the level. And then by the end of the level, like the mountains are also singing and joining along. 
And like, I think it's the kind of thing that like probably sometime when I was a kid playing three or world, like I imagine that all those little smiley faces far off in the distance on things would eventually like talk or be animated or say things like in the future someday on better hardware. So it was very strange to see something like, you know, uh, ramblings of a teenage gamer, like actually happen. So like, you know, I'm already like, I'm going to play this one into the fucking ground because it feels really, really good. Um, the creativity and the level design and what they've done visually, even the overhaul as far as like sound effects and like weird little bits of voice that like, I don't know. I always felt like a lot of the dialogue from Mario was kind of like weirdly unnecessary. Like it would sort of jolt you out of it, but having like these weird talking flowers and things Oddly feels more on brand with Mario than I might have expected. So Yeah, I I, uh, <laughs> I I mean I, I, I read about the flowers. Um good thing is you can turn off the voices if you want. Uh, you can also or you can turn change them it. into like fifteen other different languages. Yeah. So you can literally make it into a language that you don't understand at all, and it sounds pretty cool. And you and it's just go right, right straight away. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I was thinking of doing that, but uh, so far I only played the first level because I haven't had much time to to really delve into it. But yeah, um, yeah uh, what you just said about the second level—that's yeah. I mean, it, it it's. It's uh, interesting that you say that, like, uh, because a lot of times uh, when we play games, sometimes we're just into, like, what the character's doing, not what the background's doing. Right. So to hear stuff like that, I want to be more focused on what's going around uh, around my, you know, my character instead of, like, just focused on, you know, uh, I, I got to make this jump or whatnot, because I want to appreciate it more. Uh, yeah. I mean, the art style is definitely different. Um, this is the jolt that that series needed. And a lot of people keep saying, yeah, this is more like Super Mario 3, Super Mario World. Because uh, I think we talked about it last time. Uh, Mario games have become a little bit kind of like uniform. Where it's like Mario looks the same ever since uh, New Super Mario Brothers. And Although there are some games that really take it to a little bit different level, especially the 3D ones and Mario Maker, it still feels like it's kind of like how Mickey Mouse is, where he's been kind of like the same Mickey Mouse until much recently, where they kind of took him into like a really deep end type of Mickey Mouse, where he looks like, I don't know, Across kind of between weirdly popular. minimalist. Are you talking about the one from the most recent game? Well, that too. That I mean, the game is basically the the new Mickey Mouse, like the new Mickey Mouse animated cartoons that have been popping up the past two three years. Yeah, that okay. reflects the new style of Mickey Mouse, and I think uh, they're starting to do that with Mario. And I I know that it's not as extreme as that. I like the fact that those aesthetics that they're bringing into it kind of livens up everything and that's how a mario game should be because like you said i mean there's stuff where i saw in super mario 3 where you know like the giant stage where you saw like the turtle and the big question mark block mm -hmm. those type of things were cool and i really wanted to see more of that and it's hard to impress people nowadays because the further you go with with any sort of thing the more you see and the less things you know that you see that are unique so yeah it's great to see that wonders really kind of taking it a little bit further left field than usual so for but, sure yeah excited excited definitely um 
So let's run through. We've got a few news items. Um, nothing yeah. that's like super exciting or anything. In fact, it's all kind of like crapulent business related things, but there are things we've talked about before. So it's just business, business yeah. as usual. Well, hopefully, um, like for some of these things, they will hopefully be the very last time we ever utter them on the show. Um, yeah. <laughs> number one, um, the most hated CEO, quote unquote, in gaming, John Ricitiello of Unity, retired after the disaster that befell Unity with their attempt to milk lots of smaller developers into paying them additional fees for installs of games that use the Unity engine. Retroactively um, as well, yeah. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I... Uh, this ties into a thing that you and I have definitely talked about here and there. Um, you know, making video games is really, really hard. Um, it definitely is. It's so time consuming. The expectations are greater than ever. Um, and yet at the very top end of it with like these giant developers, you know, the lowest people in those organizations, like, the real nuts and bolts people that are actually, you know, the ones that are doing like 20 hours a day during crunch time. Um, yeah. They make dirt. You know, they're following their passion. Clearly they're doing it because at one point they absolutely loved games and they couldn't conceive of spending their life any other way. Um. But for whatever reason, we developed this economic system that puts all of the rewards at the very, very top, and everyone else is pretty much reduced to a squirrel trying to get a nut. Um, uh, and it, it really has so much to do with people like John or CTLO. Um, yeah. Because that guy, like, he doesn't care about the people that work for him. Because I can only imagine, like, can you imagine being the PR person for Unity? And coming oh, to man. work on I the would day be like... that, like, I mean, I would resign on the spot. <laughs> like... Oh, uh, people have done it before. Yeah, I, right. I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember the last time it happened. But yeah, I think it was quite recently, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, it's I just mean, headaches every day. Yeah, yeah. So, like, and you're at the front of the firing squad, basically. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I mean, uh, at what point, like, I think we have to ask ourselves, like, what is wrong with this system overall that leads people to become like that, where like you've crawled your way to the top of the mountain and you were literally rewarded for continued bad behavior. You're rewarded for paying your worker bees the least and leveraging profits as much as you can. You know, this is how we got microtransactions. <laughs> Thank you, Microsoft and EA. Yeah. And everybody else now, unfortunately. Um, this is how we got annual installations of a litany of franchises. I mean, that was really born with like EA on the Sega Genesis and Super NES. Like, the yearly edition of Madden, whatever. Um, I'd rather have a season pass than buy another year of Madden. <laughs> so dumb. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I get that, like, you know, developers do become better with given pieces of hardware, and, you know, a year later, 
probably able to do some things in a better fashion, more efficiently, you know, but like, it's just so thinly disguised that it really, it it just feels so repulsive at the end of the day when you realize that like farming it out and, you know, knowing that you have unfortunately an audience that is so receptive to you just churning that shit out like year after year. Um, I don't know, man. Like people keep buying it. I mean, yeah, as long as people keep, keep trotting it out, you know, and accepting this kind of thing with games where like, you know, how many games come out where basically, you know, you're beta testing it for six months to a year, even after it comes out, because that's what should have happened before the thing came out, you know? And it's not the little guy's fault that, you know, they put in 20 hours a day for months on end and still didn't have enough time to actually get all of the problems with it fixed. And you look at Redfall for the Xbox, like they just released a 60 frame per second, like consistent patch. And, you know, they were talking about what an overwhelmingly hard piece of programming that must have been because taking a game on that specific, I think it's Unreal 4, taking a game that's on Unreal 4 that's like a janky performer, like wobbles between like 20 to 30 frames and getting it to run consistently in 60 frames per second is like a gargantuan pain in the ass. But That's good to hear, but... Did they I mean, it's good, it's make good the for game, fans of that game, yeah. Yeah, did they make the game more fun to play? Because I heard that was a huge issue. Like, it was, the AI was terrible, and the game didn't have much to offer in terms of, like, hey, this, you do this, but it's not fun to do. It's not well presented either, with a lot of cutscenes that are really sparse. And I think just it just... Bare bones. <laughs> from some of the news accounts that I've read and I'm sure inevitably there'll be a Matt McMuscles what happened yeah. about that game specifically, but oh, like, that'll definitely happen in a year. <laughs> like, like, I think, guaranteed. <laughs> I think they didn't know exactly. There was a profound disconnect between the people making the game and the people funding the game. Oh, and yeah. the conversation just, changed in some pretty radical ways along the way that like it began life as one thing. And then at a certain point they were just like, no, well like this has to be like borderlands kind of thing. And it's like, Oh, uh, that's not the game we were building all this time. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's hard enough to make a really good iteration of anything even when you're crystal clear about the thing that you're going after, let alone when the goalposts move that dramatically, right? I mean, again, like, I, I, I think, like, the, the mechanisms that run big business are so broken right now, and gaming, given that it's become a really big business, it's also getting broken in some kind of interesting slash frightening ways. There, there, there are a few things, uh, if I can add. Uh, number one, uh, if you want to look up a, a poster child of that kind of uh, thing that Redfall is going through, just look up Anthem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Kotaku <laughs> wrote a really in-depth article about how that uh came to came to be and how it kind of flamed out really really badly at the end. Yeah. Uh interesting read. It's kind of long but interesting interesting uh, to to read about. Number 2 um I think uh in western territories definitely uh it's a sad state. But yeah. in Japan it seems to be the opposite. 
Yeah, it's a very strange moment where, like, when you consider where everything was about a decade ago. Oh, geez. It was the polar opposite. I mean, Capcom made a lot of missteps. Arguably at their lowest, you know, following kind of a long mismanaged trek of the later portion of Street Fighter 4 shelf life going into Street Fighter Cross Tekken. Yeah, and um, uh, Marvel Capcom Infinite. Oof, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, and then at that time, you know, the all the Western developers are just, like, ascendant and strong and putting out, you know, big-selling game after big-selling game. And now yeah, that really has shifted in such a dramatic way. Look at Capcom um, now. Yeah. Uh, who else? Nintendo's still going strong. The yeah, it, there's no dispute. They they uh, won this uh this uh, s- uh system series yeah. with the Switch. Um, and I think uh the the real reason why is because it's a difference of uh businesses how they do business here. And yeah. I think the main thing is uh. Uh, in Western countries, you have a lot of uh, companies say, oh, we're losing money or we're not making as much profit. Oh, why don't we just fire a bunch of people and have uh, the, the people still remaining pick up the slack? Right. In Japan, that doesn't happen very often. If that if uh, profits sag, sometimes you have something like what Nintendo did with uh, Satoru Iwata, where he said, you know what, I'm going to... F- fall on the sword a little bit here. I'm going to take a huge pay cut, you know, get paid uh, half my salary, but we're not going to let anyone go. Yeah. And lo and behold, they rebound. And uh, a lot of people in Japan, Japanese companies, they're crediting their uh, success, especially like uh, recently Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, I think, uh, the the Final Fantasy coming out soon. Mm -hmm. I think the producer, uh, I, I only skimmed through it so I might be mistaken, but I just read like the headline saying, oh, um, we kept our team together for quite a long time, even through hard times. And that's why. Yeah, that's why w- we were able to put out a product that we really believe in. And it's probably the same with Capcom and other Japanese companies. You know, they didn't go out and start firing people that could help you in the future because that's veteran talent that you need. Right. I mean, if you just turn and burn all, all this, you know, so often, like even when you have success, right? like I'm looking at you, EA, Epic, <laughs> like you turn and burn even when you have success, when you post record sales, Blizzard, Activision, Blizzard, especially Activision, Blizzard. That's why yeah. the quality of your games are going down because the guys that you rode with, you just kick them to the curb when you, you know, hit the casino. You're yeah. like, see ya, thanks for the money. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say, but yeah, that's a huge part, I think. Just Definitely. wanted to. Just, just, yeah. I just felt that there's a huge difference now. I mean, like you said, it was different times uh, 10 years ago, even, but yeah, tables have turned. And I think this business model, I think the Western companies got to, you know, right. Taking so, two other business stories that we've been sort of punting back and forth. Um, thank God the Activision Blizzard thing is essentially in the can. <sighs> um, yeah. You know, there might be still be a couple of lawsuits, but by and large, it's going to happen. And I am really glad that we never have to talk about it again. Um, but trust me, thing, I'm, I'm not <laughs> celebrating. <laughs> right. One thing that actually made a number of people we know mad. Um, yeah. And also made you mad. Um, yeah. Price hikes from Sony. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, you know, PSN went up in a really sharp way, um, unexpected. You know, oh, well, as far as expectations, like yes and no, like the the cost of uh, Xbox Game Pass 
really left this sort of crazy gap. And I was not like, I was hoping that they would just go, well, we do it a little differently. We don't have, you know, day one triple A games. Like ours is a little more of the like, you know, it's the big greatest hits library, right? So, you know, you add that service, you get like, you know, this added library of stuff that mostly represents like the best games for PS4 or 5. And, you know, if you want something that's smoking new, yeah, you gotta, you gotta pay up for it. Um, but even more so than that, yeah. Um, I know you were taken aback by the announcement of the PS5 Slim, which will remain the same price. No, no, it, it goes up. 600 yen. Okay. Uh, Yeah, because, yeah, it's one thing, like, if it didn't change price, I'd be like, yeah, it's okay, I guess, but they're charging even more compared to the original unit. And not only that, uh, the U.S. didn't experience this, but other countries, especially Japan, we already had a price hike on PS5 systems last year because they right. cited the uh, the supply chain issues and things like that. So now we're getting another price hike for the PS5 Slim, which traditionally when a company makes a slimmer model or updated model of their system, usually they figure out ways to, you know, have cost cutting uh, uh, procedures done so that you can sell it for cheaper. Right. PS5 Slim is basically the same thing, but smaller, but they're charging more. And not only that, they're, uh, if you want a vertical stand, that'll, that'll be an extra 4,000 yen. <laughs> right. so, and, and you've uh, also got that really looking like that really goofy looking peg leg for it horizontally. Yes. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I, and you're going to charge me more for that. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Sony. Um, right. But um, just in general, that there's also going to be price hikes on uh, peripherals like controllers and headsets as well. A significant right. price hike, about 15 mm-hmm. to uh, 20% higher. Yeah. And there's no cited reason for this. And it, yeah, that's cool and all. But uh, I'm I'm just gonna say this: living here in Japan, yeah, uh, with all these price hikes and the fact that we're going through an insane inflation period, yeah, but we're not getting prices uh, like like salaries have not gone up at all, right? (laughs) Ever since I've been here, I've been here for 16 years, and my salary hasn't changed. Um, most people's salaries have not changed and yeah, Sony is doing this. I mean, sure. It's your funeral. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> Cause I mean, Sony, it's weird. It's, it's weird. Right. Right. Like remember the time when they had that announcement, when they brought up the what PlayStation one and they just said $300 or something like that. And this two ninety nine, two ninety nine, mic drop. What yeah. happened to you? The what happened to those days, Sony? I miss those. Well, when you cared, you know, Talk there's now. a yeah, and that's what I was gonna say. Like, there's a long history of generally whoever tends to lead in the market, they become a dick about it (laughs) and that's basically what's happening here like you know microsoft got really cocky after the 360 they felt like they had real momentum here in the u.s at least um and then they weirdly got very sidetracked by all this market research that said that you know people were using their consoles for streaming and that like tv and those features ought to be a really big deal. Now, I did used to stream Netflix from my Xbox 360 um, solely out of convenience because I mostly played games, but with access to the app on there, that was a nice, easy thing. It was like, okay, I'll use it for the exact same thing. 
I didn't have like a separate like a Apple TV or a Roku or anything like that. Um, this was in the relatively like early days of Netflix streaming. Um, yeah. My God, I can remember when it had like a lot of good movies <laughs> instead of a lot of. Uh, that's another discussion. <laughs> shows entirely. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, but like. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, gaming at the end of the day, it's ultimately a luxury. And I think if a lot of people find themselves in hard times, maybe people cut down to one system or no new games. Yeah. And, you know. A lot of these companies uh, just might find themselves in a bad spot. And I think, you know, the ones that are a little more straightforward with consumers or still continue to deliver a lot of value in the box for 40 to 60 bucks without, you know, relying on your beta testing or selling you a season pass for years on end. Those are probably the companies that are that are going to come out ahead. Um, yeah. Especially if things continue to be difficult globally in an economic sense. So. Yeah, I mean that's why I'm saving all my cashola for a Switch successor now. Right. I was thinking PS5 for Street Fighter Six, but I mean I had a small window to get it. Like. Yeah. I didn't have any reason to get one before Street Fighter 6 came out. Yeah. But to be honest, uh, Street Fighter 6 might end up on the Switch successor because, I mean, if it can play on Steam Deck and the ROG Ally, I'm pretty sure if they beef up the Switch to those type of specs, that'd be no problem to port it there. And yeah, I mean, I could wait until It would be an interesting thing to see if. a fighting game developed for Xbox or PS5 yeah could come out in a like could come out with reasonable fidelity on the Switch successor because like <laughs> the one pretty glaring example of a game not doing so hot would be Mortal Kombat 1 uh, yes. on the Switch. <laughs> yeah, it looks so bad. I mean, I heard they patched it a little bit, but man, you're going to need at least another 20 patches to make it even like feasible, like especially at the the cost of the game that you're charging people. There's right. no way that game is worth $70. Well, there's just, no you know, you have to be like, and I get it, like, there's been some miracle ports, like, people always talk about the ports of, like, Doom, Doom Eternal, Witcher. Um, The Witcher 3 was another one, like, yes, you can perform some miracles on this hardware, but it really depends on, like, the kind of game, the style of gameplay, you know, whether or not you can make it work in a close enough fashion. I think the thing with MK1 being this really beautiful kind of like cutting edge piece of software for Xbox and PS5. That was just not going to fly, man. You know, know. it would have been wild. Yeah. If they had seen this as a weird opportunity and like, if they actually made a version of it, that was like all mocap like yeah. an old Mortal Kombat game that yeah, might have been, been cool. kind of cool on the Switch, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. I don't, yeah, like I, I think there there are ways that you can say, hey, we know what this hardware is actually capable of, but we're going to deliver a game that's actually a really fun version of this anyway. And you might wind up like, you know, there's all this talk that like, yes, they're still going to try and drop like. Call of Duty on Nintendo hardware in the future because it's such a giant market for them to ignore. But, like, then you could do it, like, you know, a really fast-moving version of, like, the old Modern Warfare for 360, right? Yeah. Like, if you scale it down and you're, like, 
Well, look, this is not going to look like the flagship version of this game, but it's going to have really good network code and it's going to play well with your pro controller. It's going to have gyro controls and all that. Like there's a way to meet consumers halfway so that it's not like such a terrible sacrifice. But at the same time, like all the ideas I just talked about, that also takes a lot of added development time. So I think it would be up to them to sort of figure out like whether or not that expense is worth it. Like if it's going to land or not, there is another way though. And that's using the switch or the lowest denominator as the base and then add stuff to the better versions with the PlayStation five or whatnot. Um, I mean, if you look at, uh, the, uh, Iga created, uh, bloodstained, which is the Oof. Castlevania Symphony of the Night uh, yeah. spiritual successor. When they uh, fundraised that, the uh, kickstarted that, um, they were saying, yeah, we'll bring it to Switch. But then when the Switch version came out, it was not nearly comparable to like the other versions because they focused on the higher end games first. Right. And and then the, the Switch, they were like, oh, we'll try to make it the same but it just didn't work out when yeah, yeah if they just used the switch as a base it would have been mm-hmm. much better and the reception would have been a lot more uh kind it would have been kinder because yeah yes. there were a lot of people that dissed <laughs> that game and it took a long while a long while to finally patch it to a point where it was you know it's fine but yeah I mean, <sighs> when that comes a year after release, that's not good. <laughs> right. Yeah. By then, it's forgotten. It's old news. But anyway. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, but. we're going to take a brief break, and you're going to hear some messages from our fellow compatriots over at the Ruminations Radio Network. Um, we are but one show of many. Um, you'll find everything from fantasy sports to movies, to horror, to just about anything else you can think of. So hear them out and check them out at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. Hey, kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you've been enjoying this show, come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on Cinephile Hissy Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. And we're back. But I, I, I don't feel like I left. I know. <laughs> it was instantaneous for us somehow. Wow. wow. Um, Technology. So there's a brand new thing for us to talk about. Um which is like really, really gratifying and cool, but also like an unknown corner for us as content creators thus far. Um, We were these folks at a software publisher called Shin Yudin reached out to us and they wanted to offer us codes to a couple of their released games so that we could try them out and then subsequently talk about them here on the show. Um, needless to say, uh, Eddie and I were quite excited about doing this. Um, but it's not a situation where like money has changed hands or we promised a full review. So there are two games, and we're going to talk about one of them today, which is a retro-flavored side-scrolling action game called Retro Revengers. Um, Eddie, did you get a chance to play Retro Avengers? Yes, I did. I've uh, played it for uh, about a week or two. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's a very nice game, I think. Um, okay. And it's, uh, like I, I like you said, this is our opinion, so I'm mm-hmm. not going to hold back if there's anything that I feel like needs to be addressed. But I actually really like this game because of the fact that uh, when you play it, there are a lot of cool things about the game where you have five characters and mm-hmm. each character does different things. Mm-hmm. So they jump differently. 
they have different projectiles, they have different abilities. Mm-hmm. And the stages that they are on, they reflect that. So it feels like uh, a fresh new type of game every time you play each level. I've only been to the fourth level because it, it is a challenge too. It's actually not easy at all. It's 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 not Nintendo hard, but it's uh, it's not, it's not uh, Ghosts and Goblins on the NES. Oh Jesus! <laughs> See, that's why I'm like, yeah. I after playing Go- uh, Ghosts and Goblins, now I know. Everything Gameplay else is, is a freak king. by comparison. And gameplay is king. Like Ghosts yeah. and Goblins, if you're anywhere near a ladder, you're going to stick to that ladder. <laughs> and yeah. there's going to be times when you feel like, I want to turn around and hit this person. You don't turn around. That's Keep what happens. going in... up the ladder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But with Retro Revengers, um, yes, there are uh, some things with the characters where they move slower than normal characters in games. And when they jump, either it's a little floaty, depending on the character, or it's not easy to control the drift because, I mean, well, look at the characters. They're not athletic. They're not like superhero like. They're just right. like. I'll talk the whole like prim- <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole premise of the game is that like these are a bunch of old slobby gamers hanging out in a house, playing old games, eating junk food. Yeah, I th- there's nothing in that sentence I can identify with. Um. Oh, no, no, no. I, I read that in a book. I think yeah. I, I read it in history class. Not us. It's not definitely not us. We're, yeah. We're we're prime people. <laughs> I think my impressions were largely the same as yours. Um to give people an idea of it, like it's somewhere between Wonder Boy um in the form of like you murder minor enemies, they drop coins, you collect coins. Um, there's also a little bit of ghosts and goblins in it by virtue of the randomly appearing treasure chests that are yes. secrets in the stages. Um, yes. Visually, you know, it's always a weird thing when you look at like indie developed retro games because like, Growing up with all of these different consoles, like I have a very fixed set of like expectations for a given piece of hardware. Like I'm obviously super familiar with like what an NES game looks and sounds like, an SNES game, a Genesis game, and so forth. Um, this game's visual inspiration kind of feels like it's just sort of pulling from like a lot of things all at once. Um, it's not quite as polished as say something like Shovel Knight. No, but um, I like the overall feel of it. I wish that like some of the jumps specifically were like a little more generous. Um maybe gave you a little more control on the ledge because like I kept thinking I could scoot like really close to edges. Like, of course my, my brain defaults to Super Mario brothers. So I'm used to like one foot on the block, like, and looking in the other direction, looking to jump. And so it was a little bit like touchy by that, but um, I think the music is super duper charming. Really, it's great. Really like I love the soundtrack, the soundtrack for it. Yeah. yeah. It's um, awesome to hear. In terms of like the thing that strikes me as interesting about the game is that like you think about if you're setting up a workflow for designing a video game, like having this many playable characters is a lot of friggin' work. Like they actually dug themselves like a huge hole deciding like we're going to have five playable characters in a classic style side-scrolling action game, right? Like that's far more work than you would have to do 
if you were just going to have one character and they had like a bunch of different power ups, maybe a different looking suit, like maybe it's just a palette swap or something. So like clearly there's like a lot of ambition happening with these developers and like for the most part, the game feels couched somewhere in the eight and 16 bit era. But then there are moments that I found kind of surprising. Like it was either the second or no, it was the second stage boss. It was like the redheaded mermaid. Yeah. Like that character actually felt much more like something out of like a Saturn game or like a later Parodius title. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, yeah, like that's a that's a huge, nicely animated boss character. Um, same for the like, it's weird because he kind of looks like Shovel Knight, the the third boss. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I just beat that boss before we got on air. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, did was... you did you spam attack the feet? I did eventually do that because I was <laughs> yep. trying to hit the head, and then like I noticed he keeps blocking it. And I only right. got like one or two hits, but then I noticed, oh, he's 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 weak in the gut, like yeah. uh, Frank Du would say. Frank Du, uh-huh. <laughs> he's weak in the gut. So, yeah, it, it was it was yeah, it's like that sort of discovery is awesome, and yeah. it's not a perfect game, but I think they did that on purpose because they wanted to show that type of game back in the day. There were games that were not perfect, but the way they went about it, it's amazingly consistent. So okay, so you're, when you're I almost die, seeing that more as like a like a like it's a statement of like it's intentionally yeah. meta the yes. construction of it. Okay, I honestly think so because it's amazingly consistent. It's like when okay. I die in that game, I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's that's all on me. <laughs> I it wasn't because of cheap level design or the boss being cheap. And believe me, yeah. Ghosts and Goblins does that to you. It makes you that more, much more perceptive about things like right. that. So when I was playing this game, I was like, wow, this is amazingly fair. And okay. there are things that you have restrictions, things like that, that you have to overcome. But once you know that it's there, okay. If I mess up, it's because I lapsed. I had a memory lapse. I was like, I didn't think about that. I should have done this. It's my fault. Okay. And that's why that's... I like this game. Yeah. Because I think it's intentional. I think they knew what they were doing. Okay. It's it's great. I mean, when it, when I first looked at this game, if I saw this in an advertisement, I, I wouldn't actually buy it because the characters don't look all that appealing and the art style <laughs> is kind of weird looking. But right. once you get your hands on it and you play it, that's when you appreciate it. And that that is my honest opinion. I like we like we said before, we're not getting paid for this. But I honestly think if you give it a chance this is, and understand what it is, I yeah. think you would enjoy it. It's a great platformer. Yeah different from other platformers it has a lot of things that are borrowed from other platformers but at the same time it's done in a fun way yeah it's not no, it's definitely a you know it's a very interesting love letter to that golden age of 8 and 16 bit japanese yep. side scrolling yep. action games um so yeah, if you're deeply familiar with that genre of games, you should probably check it out. Um, yeah, give it a try. Yeah, we're definitely grateful to our friends at Shit Newton for dishing up a code. And um, on a later episode, we're going to come back and talk about the other game they provide a code to us for, which is uh, Retro yeah. Mystery Club. Yeah, Volume One. I'm looking forward to playing that. I love text adventures, so uh, yeah. That'll definitely get a lot of play in the next couple of weeks for me. But uh, yeah, um, once I finish this game, I'll just give a final word like real quick once that happens. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll do that too. Right, James? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, but looking forward to it. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you, Shin Yudin. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for doing that and providing those codes. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, 
come back to talk a little more about that and uh, Retro Mystery Club Volume 1. Yeah. So at any rate, that does it for this week's bi-weekly sojourn across yes. the Pacific with my homie, Mr. Eddie. Uh, it's always great to talk to you. Um, and it's it's so good to talk to a human that's not a coworker or a a child. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a box quote right there. <laughs> oh god. It's uh, on the tagline for our show from now on. Yeah. You're not you're not a child. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll be back with more Oh God, It Hurts before you know it. Goodbye.